Welcome to Revelation Warning, a weekly podcast hosted by Pastor Robert Thibodeau as he interviews prophecy experts from around the world as we discuss current events in relation to Bible prophecy. All of this is to give the world a final Revelation Warning. Now, here is your host with this week's guest, Pastor Robert Thibodeau. Hello, everyone, everywhere. Pastor Robert Thibodeau here. Welcome to the Revelation Warning Podcast. We are so blessed that you're joining us here today. Now, if you've been listening recently, you've heard several sessions with our guest today, T.S. Wright, and we've done a deep dive on Book of Revelation and the eight, seven church ages. And if you missed any of those episodes, go back and look them up in the archives. On our last episode, we learned the also the possible significance of the year 2038 and what all that could mean. Today, we're going to discuss something that, well, I believe is very needful. It's also something that will probably make a lot of church pastors very upset, maybe even mad, but that's okay. If you've been following me for any length of time, you know I say things that tend to basically slap pastors upside the head with the Word of God. I get told I'm stepping on toes with some of the teachings that we do. That's okay, too. If you don't want your toes stepped on, don't stick them out there where I can jump on them. Amen. Sometimes people just get played mad. That's okay, too. They got mad at Jesus. He just kept on keeping on. Amen. Some get mad, but others wake up. Hopefully, you're in that second group today. Praise God. But fair warning, today's going to be one of those days. Amen. Scott Rice back with us today. Scott's been teaching us about different ages of the church, significant things that the Bible and history has to say about them. He's helping us to understand each of the different ages of the church and why they're so significant, especially as we look at the modern day church age with all the societal problems that we're facing today. Scott's also a podcaster, has a very great podcast called The God-Centered Concept as well. So you need to listen and subscribe to his podcast. And he also published a journal called God-Centered Concept Journal, Making God's Word My Ways. Help me welcome back to the program, Scott Rice. Scott, thank you for taking the time to come back on and join us today. Hey, Bob, it's great to be here, and I look forward to our uh, fun discussion today as this is actually going to dive into some material that I actually already have written and eventually will get it edited and published. So Amen. I've actually finished a lot of this part, what we're going to discuss. It really applies yeah. to... The seven, all seven ages of the church, and yeah. especially this age, Amen. even more so than the other six. Amen. Well, you know, we realize, you know, the teachings of the Bible were oriented towards the Jewish culture. And many of the parables Jesus told, we cannot really comprehend unless we view them through the lens of the Jewish culture at that time. But yep. then after the conversion of Saul to Paul, you know, he was communicating in the most popular language of the time, which was Greek. Can you share with us some of the difficulties in comparing the Jewish culture to the Greek culture to what our culture is today, you know, especially as it relates to the, to, to the different church ages? Well, first of all, we uh, if you go to episode two of my podcast, I talk about this very thing. I do a, mm. a deep dive into the Jewish and Greek culture and do a comparison, and I have write-ups on this as well. And I'll be, when in a book... I'll be including a chart that gives you a comparison chart of the two. But really, the, the biggest thing is between the two cultures, if you really dissect it down to its essence, to its core, what you're getting is, is you're getting the Jewish culture when they walked as they were supposed to. The ancient Jewish culture that was that God set up through Moses, and when they were operating in the way God intended for them to, and of course, we see that go back and forth. You see that, you know, the book of Judges and even in Joshua, there was some back and forth. But Joshua, they, for the most part, walked the way they were supposed to. In the book of Judges, that's a back and forth thing. You know, you have, if you've read the book of Judges, you can see the, the crazy turmoil they go through in almost what, yeah. almost a 400 year period with the 12 judges of Israel. Some say it was a few more than that. And, you know, scholars have some different points of view of that. But the bottom line is, is that when we're walking as we're supposed to, God had this set up with the Jewish culture that the culture was centered. Every aspect of your life was centered on glorifying God. 
every aspect was glorifying God. And and what would eventually happen to Israel, especially they lose the first temple, they get exiled, eventually come back, build the second, is that you had the Jewish culture itself had broken apart into different factions. There wasn't just one faction over this, over the the way that they worshipped and the way that they approached life. There was all these different factions. You know, you had the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they battled each other. There was another group that wasn't even living in Jerusalem at the time that had separated during Babylon, and they had their own points of view. And you can, you can, I'm not going to get too deep. We could talk hours upon about that. But what had happened was, is they were really idolizing. And what Jesus was really speaking about in a general sense was that they were idolizing their culture more than their hearts were aimed at glorifying God. That was really the problem. And so during Jesus' time, and that's what he was speaking against these different factions, they were not living it out as God had designed it and for the purpose of why he designed it that way, which is why Jesus had to come. Because there was nothing on earth that was representing God the way God wanted to be represented. You know, it's not just about, and I say this, it's not just about us trying to glorify God. God wants it done in the way that he wants it done. Amen. You don't get God on your terms. You have to take him on his terms. He's the creator. We are not. He's the owner. We're not. He created us, not the other way around. And so we have to approach it from that standpoint. And the original Jewish culture that was set up did that. Where the Greek culture was sort of a combination of, actually, you could go back to the Egyptian empire you could go back to some of these cultures that were rooted out when the Jews came into the promised land. And for the very reasons they were worshiping other entities, whether it was actual other gods or their lifestyle, you know, in just in your lifestyle, you can worship a different God and not technically be worshiping some named God that can happen. And, and so what the difference is between the Jewish and the Greek cultures, the Greek culture was always focused on the self. And even with Christ, even with God, that concept, there it was all about adding him to your life. Mm-hmm. Where in the yeah. Jewish culture, it was about you being in him. Mm-hmm. You, you're, you know, you can either be in Christ or you can add Christ, but you can't do both. And so... It's not about adding Christ. It's about being in him. Well, the same thing, the Jewish culture is about being in God and walking with him. It's not about adding him to the equation. Amen. Amen. You don't add him to the equation. So in the book of Numbers, and I just read this recently when I was reading a few passages or reading a passage, even back then, sometimes God would send his spirit. Well, he did that one day and people just started prophesying. (laughs) These new leaders that Moses needed to help him administrate the the entire nation because there was just too many people for him to do it all on his own. He was just overwhelmed with numbers. Matter of fact, he was telling God, "Why didn't can I just die? I can't handle all this." <laughs> I mean, it was that overwhelming. It would be like the CEO who has no other people underneath him to manage all the entities going on. So he's taken on every problem in the Jewish nation. You know, the CEO is taking on every problem in the company. You can't do that yeah. and, and manage effectively. So God had to, he told Moses how to get to appoint some people, what to do. And then these people, God sends his spirit on them. They just start prophesying. That's how powerful God's spirit is. Even then, when he would do that. Well, the thing is, is that Jewish nation was designed to show the other nations and all the peoples of the earth how they were supposed to approach life. That's really what it's designed to do. And the Jewish culture today, that ancient Jewish culture, as we read about it, should influence us to realize that we need to be in Christ, not adding Christ. The Greek culture says to add it, which we are a very technologically and sociologically version of the Greek culture. The Roman culture was as well. It just... It's just take the Greek culture that kind of had all this culmination of the past, becomes this empire, 
And then as it dissolves into the Roman culture eventually, which most likely the first king was an exiled Greek, it just becomes a more advanced version of that Greek culture. And it's the whole idea of about improving self. Everything is about self. And so we need to understand that. And we're, we are called to glorify God, period. That is your ultimate purpose. And so to do that, we have to understand that our entire approach to life is simply about walking in him as he calls us in the way that he calls us. Amen. 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 And you also talk about uh, attachment and idolatry is one of the major things that is happening in today's church age. What do you mean by that? And how can that be overcome? Well, so <laughs> if you if you listen to episode four, I call it the idol of the week. <laughs> and <laughs> I do, because first of all, think about how fast everything changes. I mean, interestingly enough, we were talking before, just to give you an example of how quickly things change. Yesterday, I had a car go out. By last night, I had a new car. <laughs> I mean, yeah. wow. I mean, it was just that fast. And and I bought a used one and all that stuff. But um, you can get into car buying if you want to listen to Dave Ramsey or some other financial guru how to do all that. That's fine. I'm not into that part of it here. But our lives can change that fast these days. And we can access everything quickly. I mean, I was immediately online looking at cars, got that all figured out, went to a certain dealership, got what got ill and and got it and just got to finish signing the papers. You know, think about how fast our computer technology changes. So right now, the big discussion is AI, right? I mean, artificial intelligence. And of course, you, you threw the... Uh, that ball out of left field last week, they were talking about extraterrestrial and all this stuff. I mean, mm -hmm. it's and Congress will be talking about 500 other technological things this week. And we will, we'll forget about last week. I mean, think about the news cycle and this is really where it started at the speed that we have. It started in the seventies when they started developing and, and they kind of moved together as technology started coming into the home. And then you started adding media and the Watergate scandal was really a, a peeling off of media being more. And then the Iran hostage scandal or not scandal, but the situ the crisis, you know, and it was on every night. And I mean, it was just pounding. And then within 10 years, CNN was on with 24 hour news coverage. And then we had the war in Iraq and we had 24 hour coverage on the war in Iraq that changed the game. And it's just like, information and technology have just went at this exponential growth right now that just it just faster and faster and faster and faster and so why i called that the idol of the week is because that's really what we are it's like we are addicted to sensationalism exactly and yeah. and constant entertainment i mean think about it we are entertained constantly and I mean, drama is just, you know, it's just a, it's just a flip of a switch. Now that's what drama is. Social media, television, you get sick of somebody's real life drama. You go watch a drama. I mean, think about it. If you get tired of that, you can go play drama on the video games. If you get tired of that, you can go read about drama. I mean, it's, yeah. you know, and it's just the entire process that we are constantly saturated and in some ways, that is desensitized and desensitized us in the spirit. So to give you a story here on myself, back in 2017, I had an encounter that is hard to, it's kind of hard for me to explain, um, but it's something I've talked to people about before. I There was just one night I was praying and I, I really felt the Holy Spirit moving me. And for like two hours, there was like this prayer language back and forth with God, where he really worked in me and it really slowed me down. You know, God does not want to work at that pace of exponential. 
And to think that he does is idolatrous because you're making God out to be something he is not. You know, it's the Bible tells us to be still and know that he is God, but it says to be still first. That automatically implies that we're going to have to slow down and take some time. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a relationship. And I heard a a guy that a church that I used to attend back when I lived in a different location that he used to say, you know, there's, there's really two types of communication. There's transactional and there's relational. And he said, God wants both. And our society is because of the speed, everything is very transactional. Yeah. And so when I, you know, one thing that sometimes I personally struggle with, and I just throw this out here is because I tend to like to talk to people and get a sense of who they are and people don't want to slow down and do that. (laughs) And they don't do that with anything. And the problem is, is if you don't do that with God, you're, you're going to have a hard time connecting to others, which is going to make it hard for you to evangelize and disciple. It is idolatry to think that God is only transactional. It's idolatrous. You're making him out to be something he is not. Just like when you make God out to be the only time you spend time with him is when you need something. Yeah. Making him out to be a Santa Claus. Yep. That's wrong. An ATM machine. Exactly. That is idolatrous because you are making God out to be something he is not. He is your father and he is your king. And as you mature in Christ, while we always have the positional authority as being a child of God, we need to quit thinking of ourselves as children of God and think of ourselves as ambassadors for Christ. Amen. You know, an ambassador is mature. That person is always focused on growing with Christ and in Christ. It is always allowing the Holy Spirit to move them, whether through rebuke, correction, encouragement, all of those pieces through his word and through his spirit. you got to have both. And spending time with him, both in his word and in prayer. And, and think about this. If you've ever had encounters where you've had been filled, really filled with the spirit, you know, that's going to come off and on that. You're not going to have, you're not going to be at that level all the time. And I heard it. I heard James Gall say this one time and I was listening to a book of his and I, I listen to all kinds of different people. I mean, I, things from the desert fathers to, you know, I've listened to different pastors and priests and different denominations. And, and James Gall was talking about this. He said, you're going to have periods where you're going to really be filled with the spirit. And then you're going to have periods where you need to be more grounded in the word. And those are going to go back and forth. And he said, that's good because the word keeps you grounded because you don't want the filling of the spirit to become mystical. You just want it to be with Christ. And, and, and even with the filling of the spirit, if you stay grounded in the word, you can test those spirits and understand that. And I've done that over a period of time, listening to guys that were like him that are really experienced with that. You know, Dr. Bill Bright developed Campus Crusade off of a vision from the Holy Spirit. And he talks about that. And he talked about, you know, things like the spiritual gifts and how, you know, he went back and forth with things like tongues and all that stuff. And, and I'm not. I'm not a denominational guy, so I don't really adhere to one or the other. I'll say this. You just need to be open to God's spirit so he can work on you. But you have to take the time with him and step back and escape some of this saturation that we are so embedded in. I'm telling you, it is idolatry. Yeah, It is to constantly fill yourself with that because what it does is it sets your heart in a way to be very impatient, which is completely the opposite. And if it's if something is making you impatient, impatience is not the sin. The sin is you saturating yourself with what is making you impatient. Exactly. Amen. And and you let's, need to think through that. And it is idolatry let's because you are worshiping to, something. Let's relate that God. to what is happening in the churches concerning what you just talked about. Well, and, and first of all, and I always say, especially this, the the Western churches. Yes, and and that's what I'm referring to. I'm, I'm referring to Western society that lives like we do. So there's three issues that I see that really impact us. First of all, people, and this is and this does no way give a government the right to take over people. 
but people don't handle freedom well. The problem is, is there's no government out there that is qualified to rule over people except for God. That's the problem, you know, because they become too corrupt. And we've seen that. I can give you so many historical analysis on that. So the problem is, is people don't handle freedom well. They'll always choose what feels good. I mean, that's just what ultimately happens. And so the Bible even tells us not to misuse our freedom, you know, our freedom in Christ. Well, knowing that, and when we don't have the spirit of God leading us, what are we going to do with freedom? Exactly. You know, it's it, it's not going to lead us in a good direction. So the churches are in a very precarious situation in that they're trying to be a light for Christ and bring people in that don't know Christ. And the problem is, is that in this world that we live in now, what attracts people is all that saturation that we just talked about. So the churches have to adapt to that to some level, but at the same time, not become just another sounding board for all that saturation. Mm -hmm. It's a precarious balance. It really is. And pastors are in a tough situation in that they're trying to balance that. And what I think has happened is they've been trying to balance it now for long enough that we have lost the understanding of the word discipleship. It's not happening in the churches. Now, the one thing that I would say the older age of the church is that they were too closed in. They they had too many walls up and not reaching out to people. Now we've become so open. We It's like a pendulum. We've swung one way to being, quite frankly, too conservative to another way of being too liberal. There's no balance. You know, there still has to be that strong moral authority that guides your heart. But it can't be so stifling that that's what you focus on, which is what the older churches did. But the newer churches, have. it feels like that a lot of them have just left let the moral authority go, and we're just going to reach people out of love. That's it. That's the only focus. There has to be a balance. And I actually talk about that in my podcast series, and we're getting ready. Like The next episode that I'm putting out is going to be, are you in Christ or are you just adding Christ? But then I'm going to move into this part of and we're talking about training in the spirit is what we're talking about, that the next part of this is, as you start to figure that out and start to deep dive kind of do deep dives with God in his word and in his spirit and in prayer. And you get in that contemplative state with him. As you start working that out, what really should happen is, is you need to start looking at what, in what way, how am I communicating to others after I've communicated to God? I need to know what am I communicating to God first? That's part of the training, but then what am I communicating to others? How are those working? You know, what does that look like in real life? How is that coming out? Because part of our training is, is that we need an inside out change, all of us. And the church needs the same thing. And, and the purpose of me and what God has called me to do is to wake the church up to the understanding of what real discipleship is. Here's what real discipleship is. I, I kind of use a process. We come to Christ. We have to get, we have to really get our connection with God. And then we've got to learn how to share that with others. And then we got to send them out to go do it. And so even in the older churches and even in the new churches, that the problem is, is we're not always sending out. We're afraid to, because we think we're going to lose a dime, which takes me to the next problem of what you're talking about with churches. We have, sometimes we have to let Think of it this way. You might have to let $10 go to get a hundred back over here. You know, it's kind of that thinking or, you know, the old picture where Jesus is holding this monstrous bear behind him, but he wants you to give you, give him your small teddy bear first (laughs) to get the bigger one. But the real picture of the gospel is win them to Christ, equip them, teach them how to win others and then send them out. Exactly. And, and, and I don't, and I think churches have a hard time with that. And part of the problem is, is that they're nowadays, 
it's more about attracting church hoppers, you know, people jumping churches than it is about going out and reaching the lost. Yeah. And that's, and the church was designed to bring the lost in, you know, to teach and to communicate and how to communicate in the state that they're in, that they don't have the Holy spirit because once somebody gets the Holy spirit and once you start reading the word and you develop that hunger, (laughs) I mean, you change. It changes yeah. you. Doesn't it doesn't mean you become perfect by any stretch, but the spirit will always pull you back quick. That's how you know right yeah. there. Yeah. You know, when my left foot gets offline, but my right foot won't, and you feel that struggle, you'll pull your left foot back in Amen. and stay on that line walking with Christ. Amen. That kind of brings us to the next topic I want to talk about. You know, we heard for years years and years and years about the final harvest of souls, you know, about the next great awakening and about the end time harvest. Is that something we should focus on? I mean, it's been taught for decades and this society has grown more and more distant from anything that truly resembles a Christian based society. But is this something that we should be looking at is, you know, the anticipation of the end time harvest? Well, I will say this, if you're a believer, and you are concerned about other people's souls, you should be praying for the great harvest. I'm, and I'm going to, and this is why I wanted to bring this up today. Everybody listening here every day. And I'm going to give you at the end of this, an example of a prayer that I like to pray that I think if everybody would add this with a whole clean heart, we can help stir this movement that needs to happen. Call and and I'm not the only person that's called it this. This is what's been put on my heart to say it as, and I've heard, I've seen it posted by other people, a few other people on Twitter. I know, um, there's been people that have had visions about this harvest, had impressions about it. Okay, so and and it's not one person; it's multiple people. And so the Bible tells us that'll happen in the end. That people's the, they'll start dreaming dreams and having visions and all these things will happen. Just paraphrasing here, but I believe it is something we're supposed to focus on because it's God's calling. It's to fulfill the last final step of the great commission. And we're called to do that by Christ. Christ himself told us to do this. And if you, if you go back and look, just look at the Jesus revolution. America was kind of in a dead state spiritually. And go back and look at the Great Awakening. England was on the brink of revolution and not a pretty one, not one that would have been good. And they had a prayer meeting, that Federal Lane Society prayer meeting that night on December 31st, 1738, all the way into January 1st, 1739, and had a Pentecostal, Pentecost type of movement of Acts 2 that they believe saved England. And, and so this Jesus revolution that happened in the 70s, think about what was going on in the 60s and 70s. We had... Oh, generation. Oh, my gosh. Not only that, we had Vietnam going on. It was turmoil. It was nothing but protesting. It was turmoil. Um, Some of the civil rights stuff was just not pretty on all sides. I mean, on every side of the equation of that. And, of course, I teach this stuff. It was just a tire time of turmoil. And then in the early seventies, we have Watergate and nobody was trusting government. Once we got into Vietnam, the, the trust of government completely deflated. And then you add Watergate. And I mean, America's just dead. They have no trust in anything. That a lot of times is when God moves yeah. because he, he brings his spirit to fill that void. And it usually doesn't take a lot of people to get it started. It's just a spark. And so, yes, I believe as believers, we need to be praying for this. We need to be, here's a couple of things we need to be praying for. Number one, and and this is, I I actually will be writing about this, and I have some written material on this, some kind of more manuscript stuff that I haven't, it's more research stuff and just stuff I've written. I haven't put it out there yet. But our prayer life can actually be idolatrous, speaking of idolatry. When all you do is pray for your fleshly needs, are you asking, my question is, are you asking God what you should be praying for? Am I stepping back and saying, forget my prayer list, just get rid of it. Lord, what do you want me to pray for? 
Because what you pray for is what you will set your heart on. Amen. It is. And it's a reflection of your heart. From from the mouth, the heart speaks. You know, I mean, what's in that heart is going to come out of your mouth. And if all you're doing is praying for your fleshly needs, I mean, what is that? Because the intention, I can tell you right now, God can see the intention of your heart. If all we're doing is praying for that, or even if we're trying to act like we're not, God knows. Yeah, You can hide from everybody else and sound all good. You cannot hide from him. It's impossible. Amen. I mean, I will tell you, and I'll just use myself as an example. I've had the Lord sometimes reveal to me, like, what are you, what are you doing? I can feel that. Like, what are you praying? <laughs> I can feel that. Like, do you really mean that? <laughs> I mean, you know, you sound good. So, I mean, it doesn't matter. So, and that's my point is that what we want to do is that we need to really search God in our prayer life. Yeah. And so yeah. I've had it where, you know, I'll be praying and praying and praying and then I can feel the Holy spirit. And he says, are you done yet? Exactly. And I'm like, uh, yeah, he goes, okay, now it's my turn. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I can't remember who it was. I heard this saying before. It says something along the lines of, uh, you know, here is someone who knows absolutely nothing at all, doing all the talking to someone who knows everything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so it just kind of get put. And that's kind of what we are. So, yeah, we're the ones who know 1%. Yeah. Talking to the one who knows a hundred percent. Exactly. Let me ask you this. We've gone into detail discussing all seven of the church ages. Yes. You believe we have aspects of each and every church age on display right now in our day and time. Can you expound yes. on that for us? Well, I mean, if you <laughs> we're basically being called to finish what the apostles started. And, and think about this. This is the time of the Gentile. That's really what this is. Mm -hmm. And Peter's Acts, the Acts 10 vision that Peter had is really the kickoff of this time of the Gentile. And so we have that as a start of our kind of the start of the clicking of the, or the ticking of that clock for the first church age. Mm -hmm. And then from there, we move forward. And some of those characteristics of that church age you can find in our missionary movement. I mean, you can, it's there has been for a while, but it's really there now. And so there are, there are some aspects of that, that we see. We also though are seeing a lot of different types of teachings spread throughout the world about how to approach God. Now that's been going on every age. You know, if you want to call it heresy, that's fine, however you want to phrase it. But there's all kinds of mix of teachings. And so that stuff's going on, which went on back then. And that also went on heavily in the second age of the church, which is why eventually we needed the New Testament was to draw some of that in and stop the yeah kind of the, the Wild West of theology show that was going on, because that is what was going on. That was the... That was a part of the second age of the church that was very difficult. Now, the second age of the church, for the most part, is commended by Jesus. If you go read the second age of the church, and basically what, what's going on is they're being persecuted. You know, and it talks about being in prison for 10 days, and of course, that's a, that's a symbolic time period. But what happens during that time period is that that persecution leads to actually spreading Christianity further and wider. You and I talked about that because what happened was is it forced a lot of people to leave yeah. some of the main Roman controlled centers and go outside on the more of the boundary areas or less patrolled areas is probably a good way to say it. And it just kept spreading the word of God in Europe and Asia and other parts of the world. And it was spreading into North Africa and you know eventually it'll spread other places as well. But you see that. But also what happens, and this is just the natural tint of people, is when some when a, when an entity becomes too controlling, people rebel. Yeah. And part of rebelling was embracing Christianity. But also people started coming up with their own their own versions of Christ that that was not in line with the 
what the original fathers of our faith would said, you know, the apostles. So that's why that was some of the stuff that was going on. That would be characteristic of the second age of the church, but their, their ability to endure and to endure persecution, much like some of our missions that are behind areas that are supposedly closed off to the gospel, but yet they are, they are spreading the gospel anyway, in these areas of the world. I'm not going to name anything specific because I don't want to, I don't want to trigger anything, but it's spreading like crazy. And it yeah. did during the second age of the church, maybe more than any, it's definitely on a percentage of population to how many people were embracing Christianity. It might've spread more than any other time of the church. Amen. Second age of the church did the third age of the church is kind of interesting. It's kind of the political church. Well, I don't think I have to explain that. <laughs> Yeah. That's pretty, pretty easy. And there was a lot of positives that came out of the third age of the church because we got the new Testament. It finally got solidified. And there was, there was some order brought to the faith, which is good. It's just, you don't want to be so stifling that you stifle the spirit. You know, there's that, there's that balance of having some order, but ha- making sure that the Holy spirit, we're not stifling him, grieving him or quenching the fire of the spirit. You, you want both. And so, I know this sounds crazy, but you want a little mix of Pentecostal with a little mix of Catholicism <laughs> and, and, you know, traditional Presbyterian and Anglican. I mean, you, you want, and I think, you know, you want to balance, you want to strike a little bit of balance there. Yeah. So you, you don't want it all one way because it, again, is that pendulum I talked about earlier. So, and it's that being grounded but also allowing the spirit to do what the spirit should do because God will not force himself on us. He gives us the choice. That freedom of choice is a big deal. So we need to know that the fourth age of the church is considered the tyrannical church. And, you know, we see aspects of that today. It also talks about the Jezebelian spirit and how that Jezebelian spirit is still alive and well. It is. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's been books written about it. You can go, listen to it it's destroyed churches and everything else but it also it's also condemned to be thrown on a bed of sickness if you go and read about the the church of thyatira it talks very plainly there's a lot in that chapter in that passage in uh, revelation chapter two and towards the end when it talks about the church of thyatira then you move to the next church of sardis which is the dead church well I don't think I have to talk about the church in, in s- some churches and just places, just very dead spiritual areas. Yep. Um, I've heard people talk about having that sometimes it's there, there feels like there's spiritual strongholds in those areas. And you've probably, I haven't listened to all your, you've got way too many episodes for me to completely catch up, but I know you probably had some pastors and people ministries talk about some of that. Yep. And certain feeling that, and and I'm gonna, you know, each church age had an angel appointed to it, and I would think, I would think that the enemy probably does the same thing. Oh yeah, in probably every city, every place, and so I always assume that that is the case, and 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 I'll pray for that. You know, I'll pray for any stronghold in the cities to be lifted, and for the spirit of God to move in those areas through the power of his spirit leading the angels to do what they, whatever God wants them to do in that area so that his message will spread. Mm-hmm. And so we, we talk about that, you know, and, and, but the church of Thyatira, there, there is definitely characteristics of that in today's society. Yeah. The fifth age of the church being the dead church. And then there's, there's the, the great awakening, which was the sixth age of the church. And then our age, the seventh age, the Laodicea, I mean, we're really reflections of those two ages because you still see, you, you see these little revolutions happening all the time and we're praying for a great harvest, which would definitely be another, just like the Jesus revolution and all of those. And there's pockets of those things that we still see, not only here in America, but we see them in other parts of the world that they happen. Yeah. So we're, we see these little mini awakenings Amen. and I kind of think they're, they're like the birth pains of, 
a great revival that's on the that's on the horizon. Amen. And then and then of course the Laodicea, we've we're living in that church age. I think we just talked about that with modern day idolatry and and the church abandoning the truth, which is, you know, a lot of people call it the lukewarm church. But if you really dive into what that how Jesus is saying that, if you abandon the truth, which is the first thing he says to buy from him, that's what gold is, is representing the truth. You have to buy him gold and it has to be refined by fire. That is you put in your faith and your faith being refined by by fire. That means the trials of life that you will stick to the truth man. and that everything comes from the truth. And so the problem is, is that what in Western society, just in a general sense, we have abandoned or we are abandoning, not totally, but we have in many ways abandoned the truth. Yeah. And that is the truth of God. I mean, you know, we're, I, you know, I, I remember I heard Jim Simbola say this one time, he goes, somebody asked him about prayer in schools. He said, I would just like to get prayer back into the churches. Amen. Man, I mean, true, so true. when he made that it's statement, yeah. it is, I mean, and Billy Graham made statements like if God does not punish the United States, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Not that God ever needs to apologize, but I mean, there's, there's a lot of this type of, there's, there's that type of idolatry that goes on that went on back then. That is, that is definitely significant in our age of the church. And you know, some people call the lukewarm church a lazy church. I call it being deceived. Mm-hmm. And when you're deceived, you're not going to live in the truth. And all those other characteristics that we describe the lukewarm church are going to be just a symptom of what's really going on. And that is being deceived from the real, real truth. Amen. And that is the truth of the gospel, but also what the gospel should be doing inside of us. The gospel is not just about me coming to the altar or somebody leading me to Christ, and I proclaim some, you know, the prayer that we prayed before with our viewers. You don't just pray the prayer, but there should be a wholesale heart change. Yeah, and it is at some point after re, after you have went through that process that I'm teaching, the seven step process that God layers out for us, or Jesus does to John, it's really embedded in the church of Laodicea, how he explains it. It's right there. And so much of the word of God and the things that God set up. And the reason Jesus said that is because they're all set up according to that, those seven principles, that seven step process. The temple was set up that way. It all starts with truth though. Every single bit of it. You cannot come to Christ without truth. You cannot walk in him without truth. You can't be submitted to him unless you are in total truth. And that's, and that's a hard thing. And and I think a lot of times what's happened here is that the church trying to reflect and draw the world in has lost its understanding and application of the truth because they're afraid to offend somebody. Exactly. And so what I do is this, I don't ever talk about a just specific sin. What I do is I always point to the symptoms. I mean, not the symptoms, but the cause, the core. If you get the core, the symptoms will go away. If you heal the core, if you truly heal the core, the symptoms will go away. And so, and and I will tell you at the very core is greed. We talk about all that. I hear all these other sins talked about, but in this day and age, I think if people step back and really think about it, what is the main issue is that Everybody wants, and this is it right here. This is the core. Everybody wants to feel safe through materialistic comfort. Mm-hmm. And it, what that is, is that they are wanting to feel safe. They think that's going to protect them from the craziness of the world. And it's not. Because no matter what you do in this life, no matter no matter how much security you put up for yourself. And the Bible says this, you cannot buy your way into heaven and you are eventually, your body is going to die. You can go work out, which I do. You can get in the greatest shape of your life. You can live the 
total perfect health life that people talk about, you know, and there's all kinds of programs out there and you can eat perfectly healthy, but you still, at some point, your body's going to die. Guess what? Your spirit is not, it's going to go to, it's going to go and stand before God, no matter what, no matter what. If you live the full 120, there's been a few people, they say lived about or 121, 122, supposedly. If you live that long, that is still not even a pencil dot on the timeline of eternity. Yeah. You're just, we're just vapors in the wind. Exactly. Yep. And so to try to mount up security here on earth is just, it's foolish. And the Bible says that. And I think the core problem is this, is that it's where people try to fill that secure void. And it's it's what all these sins are nothing more than people doing that. They're trying to fill that core with something other than what they sh- are supposed to. And God put that in us to attach to him and to fill it with him. And they use other things to fill that. And it leads them to the sins that you see. Yeah. That's what it is. And that's where the tr- comes in is that you cannot walk separate from God and have eternity Amen. and to be totally satisfied. Everything else is a lie. Yep. You cannot be satisfied from anything other than God, y- even your marriage. I mean, we, we hold marriage in a high regard and the Bible tells us to keep the marriage bed pure and, and puts a priority on marriage, but it isn't above God. You can even put your spouse on a pedestal where God should be and only God should be. Yeah. Or, or you can kind of push your 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 spouse to put you on that pedestal. And that is, I tell people, it's really, it's that is misplaced attachment. Yeah. That's idolatry. Yep. Because what's happening is is you are not putting God on the throne. God and only God deserve to be there. Amen. Amen. Scott, this has been so fascinating. Well, what will we be talking about next time? Well, what I thought we would do is we could dive into a little bit about really where I'd like to talk more about this great harvest movement, because I think, I think we need to understand what's at the core that's keeping this from happening. I want to dive into that core. And so we look if you're if you're a Christ believer, you see all the craziness going on in the world. Okay. Um, I even talk to people who are not Christian. I talk to all kinds of people. So, you know, being in classrooms and stuff, but even outside of school, and I have a lot of these discussions outside of school, um, because you're you know, you're focused on your professional, you know, your professional responsibilities in school. When you get out of school, I've talked to people all the time. And even people who are not believers, they're they're just they're concerned with how cr- the the crazy morality and the violence yeah. and just the the instability is really what it is of people that are going on. So this isn't just a Christian idea, okay? This isn't just coming from Christians, but this instability is being created by something, and instead of talking about the symptoms of the instability. I want to focus on the core because I think we need, we, I think we can get blinded by the symptoms and lose how to, what really needs to be focused on. And share with us how someone can get, get in touch with you, you know, reach out, get in touch with you and get more information on this. You bet. Just go to GCC God centered concept, 2038 at gmail.com. Amen. And your book, God Center Concept Journal. How can yep. someone obtain a copy of your book? Is it on Amazon? Amazon. T.S. Wright. Mm-hmm. It's on Amazon. You can get different sizes. And it's a basic journal. It's got the Revelations chapter 1 through 5 declarations of Jesus. And then it's got uh, some of the names of God just to give some people things to pray about. And, and the last thing I wanted to add here, Bob, that I think is important is praying for this great harvest and praying for the nations Amen, amen. for these missions. I, 
it's easy to it's easy to segment our brothers and sister in Christ that live in other countries that are witnessing to other people or just give them a little money and just kind of let it go and just focus on our own daily life. But I believe we're called to pray for them daily. Amen. You know, and so a lot of people, you know, they just ignore it and they only focus on what's in front of them. Very linear type, what I call linear type of thinking is a, a good way. I've heard it described by a pastor friend of mine. We need to be thinking vertically. Amen. We need to have vertical thinking. Well, before we close, share again about your podcast, The God Center Concept. So The God Center Concept is really focused on a foundational seven. I don't like, I don't know necessarily want to call it the seven steps, but it's really a, a seven-step process that God layers out in the word, in his word for us to follow to connect deeper with him. It's not legalistic and it's not supposed to be. You're supposed to really learn how to walk with Christ and let him lead you through each part is really what it is and how that works. Our job as Christ followers is really embedded in these seven steps. And it's and it's cyclical in everything that we do. And so I talk about that and then I break those down and then I add subjects that would be involved in each one of those steps. But it's Revelations chapter three, verses 18 through 21 is really the layering of the seven step process. So you come on my podcast, episodes five through 10 cover that basic. We do some lead up in the first uh, four episodes and then all the other stuff after that is going to always be related around that seven step process. Amen. And it's, and it's really discipleship. And eventually, once you've connected well enough with that and God sends you out, you need to go and start sharing this with other people. That's Amen. making Amen. disciples of all nations. I'll put, I'll put links to all this in the show notes below. Folks, there is no doubt that we're living in what Jesus and historical Christian scholars have called the end times. I mean, we're working our way through each of the church ages, and we've done that. And, and uh, Scott's been giving us a, a more thorough understanding of how all this fits into what we're witnessing right now all around us. I mean, we should not be in a state of fear and trepidation. We need to be excited. We need to be thanking God for the day and time in which we live. Drop down the show notes, reach out to Scott. Be sure to order a copy of his book, God Center Concept Journal, Making God's Word My Ways. And I want to leave with this thought. As you witness all these things happening around us, don't be filled with fear, fill with faith. And look up for your redemptions drawing near. Till next time, for Scott Wright, myself, as Pastor Bob, reminding you to be blessed in all that you do. You have been listening to Revelation Warning with Pastor Robert Thibodeau and his guest expert on Bible prophecy as it relates to current events. This podcast is not designed to invoke fear, but concern. Help us to make everyone aware that the soon return of Jesus is close at hand by clicking the like, subscribe, and then share buttons below. Share this episode with your loved ones, friends, and coworkers. For more information on our ministry, please visit podcasterforchrist.com. And be sure to come back next week for another episode of Revelation Warning.